You know, as you think about uh, this season, it's a season in which we really, uh, as Mark began the service today, he asked the question, are you excited about Christmas? And the response of everyone here was... Yes, right? And that's the only answer in a place like this, because if you're not, people are going to look at you and think, well, you're not very spiritual. You're not very, I mean, you're not connected with God. How can you not be excited about Christmas? Uh, But if we're honest, uh, are you looking forward to Christmas? Are you excited about Christmas? And maybe if you're thinking back to this past year or some things that are bothering you right at the moment or some people who are not going to be at the table this Christmas, uh, you might not easily say, I'm really looking forward to Christmas, or I'm excited about it. Uh, Because uh, as we think about life, life happens, doesn't it? And and sometimes it's the beginning of life, and we celebrate last uh, Lord's Day, the the new life that was in a home uh, and a couple in our church. But as you think back, and this is true in my family, there's some loved ones that uh, had some services, not like a worship service, but a funeral service, a memorial service. And they're not going to be with family this year. And so there's going to be something missing. And then if you look at Christmas, sometimes we play the comparison game. We look at maybe Christmas's past as we compare to now the Christmas present. And it's not only because people are going to be absent, but just some other things that are going on in our life. Uh, our, Our life is not filled so much with pleasure, but maybe some pain. Or maybe as we think about the things other people have gained, we look at the things that we have lost. As we think about even our own life, sometimes we look at our life, and if we were to examine it, we're thinking, that does my life really matter? Uh, some, and we talked about love this today, as Tony was sharing that in a really beautiful way. As we think about love, sometimes we think of that the opposite of love is, is hate. And in some ways, you could describe it that way, but I think there's probably a, a, a stronger approach to love that can just uh, be a sword in someone's heart is that it's not so much hatred as just indifference. Maybe you've had this experience where you're, you, you come up to someone and say, well, what do you think about me? Maybe you're doing a, you know, just kind of trying to find out just how do people see you. And as you ask, well, what, what do you think about me? And you'll get a variety of responses. But can you think about the most, most hurtful response you could get from someone if they, if they were asked that question, what do you think about me? And they were to say simply, well, to be honest, I really don't think about you at all. I mean, you, you, never, really, you never really come to mind. Uh, I, 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 what I do know about you, I don't really care that much about you, and, and I really try not to think about you. Well, this morning what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about some, some people that really weren't thought a whole much about during that first Christmas season. In fact, if we were honest, we would probably say, if we think about all the characters of Christmas, all the main people in the plot, we would probably not add these people to the list. And that's why I've entitled the message, A Joy for the Forgotten People of Christmas. We think of the new couple, that's Joseph and Mary. Uh, you know, we think of a little bit about the odd couple, which is Zacharias and Elizabeth. In case you're not that familiar with the story, they, they were the ones who brought John the Baptist on the scene. But really what we're going to look at today is the odd couple, because we don't really think about them at all. And it, it's really about this man named Simeon and this lady named Anna, and they weren't married, but the, they're coupled together at, at the end of the Christmas story. And sometimes when we talk about Christmas, in fact, uh, what our children are involved in is a, is a happy birthday for Jesus uh, uh, experience, is that sometimes when we 
celebrate a person's birthday, we, we think of the day that they're born. And sometimes if we want to add to their joy, we might, we might really give them not a birthday day, but a birthday week. And I know some of you, when you, it's around your birthday time, it's a birthday month. You know, you, you celebrate the whole entire 30 or 31 days and whatever calendar part of the, the year your, your birthday comes in. Is as we think about the event of Jesus coming on the scene, it just didn't happen on the day in which he arrived. And we're going to look at some people this day that really speak into what the Christmas season is all about and how we can experience joy in the midst of, at times, not, not, not naturally experiencing joy because of what we have or what we don't have or where we're living and where we're not living and, and who's there, who's not there. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to uh, turn to Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to kind of introduce this. But in, in time we have, I'm, I'm trying to try to answer just sim- three simple questions. As we think about joy to the world, and that's a familiar uh, Christmas carol, and as we think about the verse that we've urged you to try to put to memory, Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, when the angel arrived on the scene, and an angel is simply a hev- heavenly messenger, and as he spoke into the lives, and, and the shepherds really were a forgotten people, but they were around geographically where it was all happening. And he said, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, and that's often what happens when you encounter God manifesting himself either personally or through others in a powerful way. And, and when angels arrive on the scene, the, the almost immediate response is fear. And out of the words of the heavenly messengers, do not be afraid. And the reason is because the message that he was about to give them. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. I really like the, the word, the original word in the, the language of the New Testament. It, the word for great there is mega. I have mega joy for you. And, and where does this joy come from? It comes from a per- person. For today in the city of Bethlehem, and that's a little uh, word that means house of bread. In the, in the place that is the house of bread, I'm going to bring the one who is the bread of life. For, the day, for today in the city of David... There's born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And if you really understand this is what Christmas is all about, it doesn't matter whether people think a whole lot about you or this past year has been filled more with pain than pleasure, uh, whether you're experiencing the lows of life or the highs of life, you can experience not just joy but great joy because a person has arrived on the scene for you and it can produce in you that which no one else can can experience. So that's what we want to talk about this morning. We're going to rush through this a little bit, but, but I want to answer three questions. What is it? What is joy? How do we get it? And then who got it that first Christmas? And we're going to look at a couple of people that we normally don't think about in that Christmas event. What is joy? Now, last week we looked at joy and we put an adjective to it or actually behind it. Joy invincible. It's that which cannot be taken from you. It, it can withstand anything you go through because it's, it's, it's a gift from God. It's joy invincible. If we're in a series in First Peter, which we are, and we'll get back to that after the Christmas season, it, it, joy is not only defined as invincible in the Scripture, but it's also joy inexpressible. First uh, Peter 1, verse 8, we're not going to turn to it, but that's how the Scripture uh, describes the joy that God can give us. Now, joy inexpressible means that, that it is so awesome and it's so great that words simply cannot describe it and explain it in a full way. And in some ways, then I said, well, why should I even try? What is joy? If it's inexpressible, then why should I try to 
You're going to have to help me out or I'm going to preach long, all right? <laughs> if it isn't expressible, why should I even try to express it? Come on, Brian. I mean, get, get, in the, get to the program, all right? So, you know, what, what is joy? What is joy? Well, there's a variety of ways to describe it, and I'm just going to give you a couple of them. But, you know, joy sometimes contrasts with happiness, and that's okay to describe it that way. But there is happiness in joy. So I don't want you to be a killjoy by saying I, I can't be happy because that's a little bit less than joy. God does give us great experiences, and he gives us things we look back at and we cherish. And it's not only things or events, it's people. But, but joy is that which is... I, I, you could put it this way. Simply, the word means to delight. Is there anything in your, in, your, in your life that you can delight in? Is there anything in your life that you can be glad about? Is there anything in your life that brings you contentment, not complacency, but contentment? Is there anything in your life that you can describe it, yourself as, as being well in your being? Is there anything in your life that, that gives you an inner excitement about life? And that's what joy is. And it's something that, that can only be approached in terms of fully understanding until you, until you really experience it. And then when you experience it, you, you want to communicate to others, but say, it's, it's, in my, it's in my heart, it's in my inner being, and it's, it's something where as I go through life, no matter what goes on, I'm excited about life. I'm, I have a gladness about life. I feel well in my soul, and I have a contentment that can't be explained by others. And when people ask, how, do you, how did you get through this, or why are you going through this, and why don't you just quit or give up? I said, well, because there's something and someone in my life that changes everything. That's the joy that the angel announced to the shepherds. And throughout the Christmas story and throughout the New Testament, it describes that we can not only have joy, but we can have joy always. We can rejoice in this life because in our inner being, there is a wellness there because God gives it to us. And we, we looked at it last week that joy is, is not simply a feeling, but it's, it's a, or an experience. It's a gift from God. It's not something you just produce in your own, own life that you're going to be, you're going to put a smile on your face no matter what. It's that, it's that which God gives you in the midst of life. Well, how do you get it? And I'm going to give you the conclusion of the message before we get into the message. But how do you get it? Well, the Bible talks about it. I want to read the passage, and then I want to define it a little bit. In Acts chapter 2, we have Peter who struggled with what this joy and what this relationship with Jesus was all about. And he got to be with Jesus face-to-face for three years and see all the miraculous things he did. At the end of his life, or in the midst of finishing off his life, he began to be God's spokesman. And this is what he said to a crowd of people that crucified Jesus. In, in Luke chapter, in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, it says this. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, both Lord and Christ, that Jesus whom you crucified. And so as you think about even Christmas, it, it, it's all about this baby in a cradle. But, but it was all about this one who came not simply to live, but also to die. This one who was in the cradle was going to go to the cross. And then he goes on in verse 37 and says this, Now when they heard this, they were pierced in the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And it really is the question, how do we get in on it? And Peter simply said this, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And by, by the way, the gift of the Holy Spirit, one of the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. 
Well, how do you get in on it? Well, you got to repent. Well, that's a religious word. What does it mean to repent? And then to repent, you've got to believe in something that you're turning from. And really what it means is this, is stop doing what is not working and start doing what will work. So how, how, how's, how's the joy working in your life? And really, the whole point of this big book that Tony referred to this morning is that God has a plan. And if you're not in on it, you're not going to experience God's plan. And you need to be honest with yourself, well, what's not working in my life and what will work in my life? And it's found in a person. And that's what repent means. I got to turn around. I got to change. And really, always the question for our life is, is do I know him and am I walking with him? It's one thing to know him, but if you're not really walking with him, you're not experiencing what only Jesus promised. You know what Jesus said? He, Jesus said a, a number of amazing things. In John 15, 11, he said, you know, these things I have spoken to you for a purpose. You know what that purpose is? At least one of the purposes, he, he defines so much about this whole message of joy to the world at Christmas. These things I have spoken to you that you might have my joy and that your joy might be made full. Same message in the Old Testament. In his presence is fullness of joy. And so if we're going to get in on it, we've got to be willing to say, I've got to stop doing what's not working. And if I don't know him, that's not working for me. And I've got to choose to know him by, by turning around and putting my faith in him. And if I've made that step somehow in the past, then I've I, I got to stop playing around with God and I, I've got to walk with him. And when we do that, that's when we really start believing and living out what Jesus is all about. And that will change our lifestyle. And uh, my, uh, my wife's now working with the children this morning. And, and if you're going to teach chil- children the word joy, sometimes you've got to put it in a pattern that will actually make sense to adults. You know what joy is? Maybe you've never heard this, but it, it's so powerful. What is, what, is the, what is the approach to joy for the one who knows Jesus? It's Jesus first, others second and yourself third. That's how you live out experiencing joy. It's Jesus first, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. It's, it's, others, it's others second. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, which is the epistle of joy that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, he said, oh, by the way, I want you to regard or consider others as more important than yourself. And when we lose joy, you know, one of the, the, the first steps of losing joy is be thinking more about yourself than others. And, of course, yourself third. We are to love one another as, we, as, as our neighbors and with care. But the way we measure it is do we love them as much as we love ourselves? So that's what, that's what joy is. What joy is is that it's, it's really having that sense of well-being in your heart. It's that, that inexpressible, invincible experience with God that's found in a person that, that brings you an enthusiasm about life no matter what's happening around you. And how you get in on that is you gotta, you got to change and you got to trust. you got to repent. you got to believe. you got to stop doing what's not working and start doing what will work. But what I want to talk today is, is really about, well, can we see some examples in that? And let's be honest. It's one th- way to think about life in, in ways of, of just principles or by precepts, but I, I want to see it in people. I, I want to see it lived out. And that's what we have in the two forgotten people of Christmas who experience joy, though we don't think a whole lot about them now, 
And if we are honest, there weren't a whole lot of people in that first Christmas that were thinking about them then, and they were kind of a forgotten couple, an odd couple that were around, and God noticed them, however. And I want you to know, maybe you feel forgotten. Maybe you feel left out. Maybe you think you don't really matter that much. Well, you matter to God. You matter so much that he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus just as much for you as anyone else who's ever lived on this planet. And we're going to see the joy found in two forgotten people during that Christmas time. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 21. Luke chapter 2, we have the story coming on the scene. Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through basically uh, 24, you have uh, the days right after Christmas. Uh, the shepherds have arrived on the scene, and, and there's been that glory in the sky and all the announcements going on. And then, uh, then eight days later, they were supposed to send uh, Jesus to the temple. And then 40 days later, there was the time of, uh, of uh, he was circumcised eight days later. And then 40 days later, he was supposed to go to Jerusalem. And, and there's supposed to be a time of, of dedication. And they, he was born in Bethlehem, and those who went to Israel just recently, we, we visited that particular place, and it was a five- or six-mile trek to get to Jerusalem. And, and when they got there, uh, they met a couple people. And, and they met a couple people that really experienced the joy of Christmas. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse uh, 24. Uh, We'll begin in verse 25. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. And so if you don't know a whole lot about Simeon, I'm going to tell you a little about Simeon, what kind of person he was, and why he was really a main character in this event, even though we don't think a whole lot about him and talk a whole lot about him. This man named Simeon, and the the name Simeon is not used a whole lot in Scripture. One of the tribes of Israel, uh, one of the the children of Israel, of the patriarch was named Simeon. But the word Simeon, interesting enough, and Simon Peter, sometimes known as Simeon Peter, his Hebrew name, uh, before God, Jesus gave him the, 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 word, the name Peter, Petros, is, it means to listen and to hear. And as we think about really experiencing the joy of Christmas, the one who gives us the joy of Christmas, which is Jesus, we, we got to listen to him. We, gotta, we, have, we need to have a hearing heart. And his name was well given him because he did listen to God. He did hear God. And he heard him so much that the scripture describes it as being righteous and devout. And if I would put it in a phrase, I would simply say this. That this is a man who had a heart for God. And as we think about these five little descriptions of, of Simeon this morning, we could all look at them personally. If, if I were to describe my heart today, well, what kind of heart description would I give it? And I don't want to replay my own, mystery, my own experiences last month, you know. The heart means a lot more to me than it did a couple months ago, you know, because, uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't tick as well as it's supposed to. But we're not talking about the physical muscle in your body. We're talking about, you know, the really character of your life. And here, here was a man who, if you described his heart, he had a righteous heart. He had a devout heart. He had a heart that listened to God. And really, some have called this passage that I'm going to have to pass a, a number of points that I might have shared. It is one of the most theological, if not the, the theological description of Christmas as much as any other. 
Because what you have in Simeon is a man who'd experienced the gift of God making him righteous before God. Because none of us enter into this world righteous. As Tony was sharing, we all come into this world in the darkness of this world, in the darkness of our own sin. And somehow in Simeon's life, sometime in Simeon's life, he, he followed the example of Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 15 where Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. In the New Testament, they call that justification where God declares us as being people who once were guilty before God is now forgiven before God. So some would say this, he had that position before God as being measuring up to God's standard because by faith, God had given him a clean sheet before him. Your sin has been forgiven. But those whom God justifies is those whom God sanctifies because then it says he was devout. It's one thing to get in on what God wants to give us, but have we gotten in and now living like God wants us to live? And the whole idea here for a person who is devout, it comes from an interesting word in the original language from which it means really to be a person who is curious or cautious. It really speaks about a person who is devout as a person who lives life cautiously and curiously, saying, I now want to live now how God wants me to live. He's declared me righteous, that's justification. Now he sanctifies me and says, now I want you to live righteously. And that's with Simeon. You know, I have opportunity to, to preach a lot, and I, I don't want you to be impressed that I preach, and some of you aren't impressed that I preach, but anyway, is that, you know, what, what's so much better is to have someone in your life that practices what you preach, and trust me, Alice does that a lot better than I do, and say, that's what Simeon was all about. Simeon was a person who had heard the good news in the Old Testament about God's goodness and, and, and been declared righteous because he believed, repented and believed. But he also lived it out. But, but then it goes on, as he, as he lived, he didn't live just simply for himself because he had a heart for God. It says there, looking for the consolation of Israel. And, and what does that mean? I, and I will go faster for those who might be looking at the, at the clock, Warren, is that um, he, he was a man who not only had a heart for God, he looked for God. And what did he look for? He, he looked for God to somehow console Israel. Now, that's a strange phrase there because normally we don't speak of, of Christmas as being a, a period of consolation. But really, Advent is all about looking forward to what was to come. And he was looking forward to what was to come. Not just for himself, but for all those who might come to the one who had been promised to come to Israel. The scripture really speaks about this. Isaiah 51 verse 3 says this, Indeed, the Lord will comfort or console Zion. He will comfort all her waste places in her wilderness. He will make like Eden in her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and a sound of melody. All you have to look at in terms of history about a people that have been persecuted and put in painful environments more than any other race in the history of mankind is look at Israel. Look at Jewish people. In the midst of when this was experiencing, being experienced by Simeon right now, they were under the bondage of Rome. And he was looking for the consolation, the comfort of Israel that had been promised in Isaiah and many other places, that God would bring joy in the midst of sadness in their land. Isaiah 
52.9 says this, Break forth, shout joyfully together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. And when we think about what Christmas is all about, it's, it's not only having a heart for God, but looking for God, looking for God to show up. And maybe that's what you need this Christmas season, this particular Christmas season, is for God to show up in your life. And, and that might not be eliminating the pain you've gone through or the pain you might go through, but to console you and comfort you during these days. And, and that's, that's what gave Simeon hope and peace and assured him of the love of God. And then, as we'll see, he experienced the joy of God as well. He had a heart for God. He looked for God. He was led by God. Interesting in this account, he goes on right after he looked for the consolation of Israel. And it says, the Holy Spirit was upon him. And he had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came to, in the temple. He came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out the custom of the law, he experienced what God had promised him. And so we need to recognize that the Holy Spirit didn't just show up on the scene, you know, in the New Testament or in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit has been involved in people's life throughout history. Uh, but there was a new promise coming, and we won't turn to it in, action, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. I'm going to make a new covenant with you, a new agreement. It's not simply going to be the Spirit upon you, but the Spirit who lives within you. But the Spirit was leading Simeon. And he led him, and we don't know in, in what way, in a supernatural way, a voice from heaven or an, an angelic messenger or, or just a strong conviction in a heart that, that God had promised him because he was righteous and devout. He'd been set apart by his faith to, to know God and be righteous before him, and he, he was trying to live it out. He was looking for, it, for the promised one to come, not only for himself, but for everyone else. And he'd been given a promise that you will not die until this promised one comes. And so as we think about learning from Simeon, what, what is the joy of Christmas? The joy of Christmas is not only having a heart for God, and not only having a heart for God is to, is to look for God, look for God to show up, but it's, it's to be led by God, to be led by his spirit. And there was a promise given uniquely to him, a person people forget about. But God had, had brought him to that place to be a one who would announce what was going to happen. But, but then we find out he, he talked about God. Look at, look at the next passage here, Luke chapter 2, verse 28. Then he took him into his arms, this is Jesus, and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. And he's speaking about himself. Now that you've fulfilled your promise, I, I can now live in peace, leave in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And as he pronounced that out, many of people were, they were excited about that the promised one had come to Israel, but now I said, what's this Gentile part? Because when Jesus came, he came to give good news, a great joy for how many people? For all the people. And so he did exactly what Tony shared in the Advent candle remembrance. That God gives us the good news not to keep it to ourselves, but to, to give it to everybody else. And so we, we learn from Simeon that you, you, need to, you need to have a heart for God. You need to look for God. You need to be led by God. And you need to talk about God. But, but then he even goes on here. And we need to understand that there's, there's good news and bad news in the Christmas story. 
And if we don't realize that, we don't understand the depth of why Jesus had to come. Because he warned people about, about what God was doing as well. Look at verses 33 to through 35. And, and his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him because they hadn't fully realized this, this baby who came in a miraculous way. He's talking about he's the promised one. He's the one to console Israel. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is, is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And you're thinking, well, this doesn't sound like a very joyful message. Maybe for some people, but for others, it doesn't sound very joyful. He said, Mary, I want you to understand that this, this one who is the greatest source of joy for you is going to be also the greatest source of sorrow and pain. It's going to, it's going to pierce your heart. And there's probably no greater pain than for a family, for a father, for a mother to, to outlive one of their children. And not only to outlive one of their children, but to see their children suffer. And maybe to be mocked and to be ridiculed. And this is what's going to happen for you. And there are going to be those who come to him, and there are going to be those who refuse to come to him. This past year, I performed the, the memorial service for my aunt, who's the youngest sister of my mom. But one of the, her greatest pains of life that traumatized her for many years is that one of her children died in their 20s in a misdiagnosis in a, in a hospital by a doctor. It brought her great pain. And when Simeon shared the good news, he also shared there's a sobering news. This one who's going to give great joy is going to bring pain to others as well. And maybe you have loved ones. Maybe in your own life you're struggling. Do you know about Jesus, but have you really put your faith and trust in him? Jesus came to save and rescue us from our sin, but he's also going to be the one who judges us for our sin. And that was the message that Simeon had. So, so what do we learn about the forgotten people of Christmas is that, that one sets the example that really, if we're going to get in on Christmas, we need to have a heart for God. We need to, we need to recognize that we are called to, to look for God, to be led by God, to talk about God, to warn others about God. But there's one other character in the story that I just want to touch on really briefly, and, and this is... This is the lady named Anna. Right after this, it goes on, it says, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow, in the age of 84, she never left the temple, serving night and day with fasting and prayers. And maybe you're raised in a family or in a family now that seems like whenever the, the, the door of the church is open, they're there. And it's like, a, it seems like we live at the church. I think my kids always thought that. <laughs> but here, here was an individual that probably did live in the temple. And, and it, can, it goes on in the story, says this, and at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak to him of all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. 
And if you don't quite catch the scene here, it's kind of like Simeon. Simeon saw Jesus with Joseph and Mary and proclaimed him as the one who comes to console Israel, to rescue Israel and bring joy to the land. Now Anna, who's been living in the temple for all this extended period of time, she sees Jesus and she experiences the revelation that here is the promised one. And sometimes we ask ourselves, you know, who is Christmas for? And sometimes in various settings, people say, well, Christmas are for the children, right? Have you ever heard that? You know, I'm, I'm, you know I've had quite a few Christmases. I'm getting a little bit too what for Christmas? Too old for Christmas. Now, we know Tony's getting a little bit too old for Christmas. Kim isn't. But, you know, you know sometimes we kind of think that way. You know, I'm too old for Christmas. It's for, it's for the young ones, right? Anna experienced joy at Christmas. You know how old she was? Now, some say she might have been 84. That was the top level of her age. But it's quite possible she was even older than that. Because she, she got married. She had been married for seven years. Her, then she became a, a widower. And then she lived another 84 years. Well, if you add up the possibility of those years, they got, they got married young in those days. So she might have been 13, 14. You add seven years to that. Now she's 21. You add 84 to that. And now she's what? She's 105. You're never too old for Christmas. And really the point here is that she showed that anyone can be joyful at Christmas because Christmas is all about understanding that the joy of Christmas is found in a person. So we've looked at what is the joy of Christmas. It's experiencing the enthusiasm of life, the joy of life, the delight of life because there's someone within you that changes everything. And we reckon, how do we get in on it? We get in on it by understanding, look, it is, uh, living life on our own doesn't, is not going to work. What works is knowing this person who's come to change everything. And, and is there an example of that? Yeah, there's an example of a man named Simeon who had a heart for God, who, who longed for God, who was led by God, who talked about God and warned others about the message that you need to run to and embrace. And, and even a uh, a little lady, we don't know how little she was, but probably she was little in stature, but possibly as old as 105, and her life was filled with joy because the one she had prayed and anticipated for had now come. So the last thing, I guess, for us this morning is, and, and now what, and now what for us? You know, Christmas, Christmas is not about adding one more thing to your life. And that's how some people look at Jesus, at Christianity, at, 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 as, as getting in on God. And they think, well, I'll just, I'll just add Jesus to everything else I'm involved in. It's not adding Jesus. It's becoming like Jesus. And to become like Jesus, a Christian, living as a Christ follower, it's all about changing what doesn't work, living for yourself. And now believing in the one who will change you by embracing him fully in faith. Let's look to him in prayer. Father, this Christmas, we don't want to add Jesus to our already busy life. We, we want to become like Jesus. And, and the only way that happens is when we embrace you by faith and trust. And for some of us, we know Jesus, but we're not walking with Jesus. And for some of us, we know about Jesus, but we don't really know him. But Father, I would just pray that we might really get in on the joy that was given to this world, the joy that was given to all people, the good news by simply saying, Jesus, I want to know you. 
I want to follow you. I want to live for you. I want to stop living for myself, and I want to start living for you. To experience the joy that only you can give, a joy that's invincible, and the joy that is so amazing, it's inexpressible, but it's true and it's real. We give our lives to you completely. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.